So my coach took me aside heading into my 10th grade year and said, Steve, you know, I got to tell you, you're good enough to play on the varsity, but I'm super concerned because of your stature, you're going to get hurt. And I just don't want to be responsible for that. And I said, wow, if that's the only thing preventing me from suiting up on varsity, I said, I got good news. Worry about the other guys. We're going to be in great shape, man. And he looked at me and almost teared up. And he goes, I just, I know this is going to be a good decision. And the captain of the hockey team happened to be a senior that year, goalie. And the first few games, they didn't play me. But the senior whose position I eventually took limped off the ice, took a puck, I think, in the shin or something. So they put me out. And after that shift, the goalie skated over to the bench and said, whatever you do, don't ever take this dude off the ice ever. The level of intensity when he's on the ice goes up exponentially. There's my vote. Get rid of the senior, put the sophomore in. From that day forward, you know, that builds your confidence, Bill. When you have somebody that believes in you like that. And I learned so many valuable lessons at that point in my life about how easy it is to give somebody just a little encouragement. And with that little encouragement in the right hands, they can turn that into a monumental step forward. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Episode 47, I had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Steve Wollenhaus. Steve's the owner and CEO of Weatherology. If you don't know Weatherology, you probably know their content because they provide content to thousands of radio stations. And they also have a web application that is meant for individuals. So if you haven't already downloaded the Weatherology app, go ahead and check that out. And Steve, wow, I just got to say this guy is incredible. If I had to describe him in one word, that word would be discipline. And we're going to take a stroll through his life, the times where his discipline paved the path that he took. We're going to talk about what he calls the walk in the desert, which is when he walked away from some childhood friends that were starting to dabble in drugs. We also learned how he got to start in broadcasting. He started at the age of 14, so he started really young. And we also learned how he became an entrepreneur really young at age 22 because he got fired from his radio job. There's so much that goes into who he is as a person, but there's no bigger contributor to who he is as a person than his father. His father was his mentor and also his best friend. We'll talk about what he meant to him. And we're going to dive into what Steve calls the anatomy of success. The anatomy of success, that's the name of his book. It's the name of his podcast. And it's really what he uses as the cornerstone of what he teaches. And Steve shares what he calls the four tenets of equanimity. This is satisfying friendships and healthy relationships with family, how to have happy, intimate relationships, how to have satisfying work and how to have a commitment to health and well-being. 
I met Steve through LinkedIn, where he is an absolute legend. If you don't follow him currently, I strongly suggest checking out his content. It's all gold. He didn't get started on social media till after age 50 when he got a kick in the pants from Gary V. We'll talk about that experience. We talk about happiness. We talk about his life as an entrepreneur and his beliefs on what it means to be an entrepreneur and how to avoid the pitfalls of social media. There's so much to benefit from this episode. I'm so excited to get into it. So without further ado, grab a pen and paper and let's get into the episode with Steve Wollenhouse. Steve Wollenhouse, welcome to Inside Out. Billy, how are you? I am fantastic, man. And as I said before we got started, I'm chomping at the bit to get started. Let's get started with your walk in the desert as a kid. That was a monumental time for you where it was an insightful moment of reflection and pretty profound findings. So can you share that story with the audience? Yeah. When I was 15, you know, my circle of friends at that time was largely predicated on athletic common denominators, basketball, hockey, football. But at that age, ninth grade, that group of friends started to deviate in the direction of dabbling with substances. And I made the decision immediately, that's not where I'm going to go at the expense of alienating every one of those people. And I went off on my own, got a dog and immersed myself in health and wellness. That's when I started running uh, got heavily into the martial arts. I had already been playing hockey. I devoted myself to athletics and uh, personal improvement at that age already, Bill, and decided at that time unequivocally, no drugs, no alcohol. It's uh, me looking out for what's in my best interest. And I didn't care if I had another friend in the world because I was determined to take on the world at that time. You made a decision at that point in your life to have discipline. In my, in my mind, what I hear as a theme throughout your life is this unwavering discipline. And it could be in any number of things that you've excelled at, whether it be business or avoiding drugs or any life achievement is rooted in the discipline that you have to achieve it. One of the things that early in your life, I think stands out from your story is the role that hockey had in your life. And I relate to you so much and that you weren't the biggest guy. I didn't play hockey. I was a baseball guy, but you weren't the biggest guy, but you had the biggest heart. And mm. I love that. And you had a conversation with your coach in 10th grade that was kind of like, hey, you're not the biggest guy and you might get beat up. And can you talk <laughs> about that experience and how that really resonated with you as a child, but how that actually transited into your adult life as well. Yeah, it's funny because heading into my 10th grade year, I was five, six, 140 pounds, you know, playing in a sport where big guys that are incredibly fast. And at that time, you know, size wasn't as relevant as it is in hockey today. It was the smaller finesse players that tend to play at a higher level, but there was still plenty of big kids, especially where I played hockey. So my coach took me aside heading into my 10th grade year and said, Steve, you know, I, I got to tell you, you're good enough to play in the varsity, but I'm super concerned because of your stature, you're going to get hurt. And I just don't want to be responsible for that. And I said, wow, if that's the only thing preventing me from suiting up on varsity, I said, I got good news. Worry about the other guys. We're going to be in great shape, man. And he looked at me and almost teared up and he goes, I just, I know this is going to be a good decision. And the captain of the hockey team happened to be a senior that year, goalie. And so the first few games, they didn't play me, but the senior whose position I eventually took limped off the ice. He was having, took a puck, I think in the shin or something. So they put me out. And after that shift, the goalie skated over to the bench and said, whatever you do, don't ever take this dude off the ice 
ever. The level of intensity when he's on the ice goes up exponentially. There's my vote. Get rid of the senior, put the sophomore in. And from that day forward, you know, that builds your confidence, Bill, when you have somebody that believes in you like that. And I learned so many valuable lessons at that point in my life about how easy it is to give somebody just a little encouragement. And with that little encouragement in the right hands, they can turn that into a monumental step forward. And so, yeah, all these little things that I've encountered in my life have just added up to be incredibly powerful. And that's why as you get older, you feel compelled to share what you've been blessed with with other people. The word that stands out from what you just said is intensity. And you have intensity that you bring to your life, that you bring to your presence, and it's channeled in a really positive way. And, you know, when I was a kid, I've always been an intense guy myself, but sometimes let my intensity turn into a temper, turn into a negative. How have you channeled your intensity in that way? And have you ever battled with temper? Have you ever battled with the hot head? I'm just, I'm curious because brother, I'm like super impressed that like you have this intensity, but have you ever had that? Oh, absolutely, Bill. In my 20s, I was a raging lunatic. And it's like I told people, you wouldn't want to work with me in my 20s if your life depended on it, you know, because it was my way or the highway. My fuse was like that. And so I've had to learn, I'm 55 now, over that three and a half year, you know, that three and a half decades, how to to step back. And and so these things I love to talk about, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, this didn't happen by accident. Right, right, right. This version of myself today is far more appealing, I'm sure, than had I put myself out there in my 20s, which is why I caution people, Mm. you know, be a little recalcitrant about what you offer the world if it's premature. I prefer to tell my story now that I've got a little bit more refining to offer the world. So I can reflect on three and a half decades and speak to things like you and I are speaking about and candidly. Come on, man. I mean, that's part of the beauty of offering what I'm offering at this point in my life. I've had the chance to go from one end of the pendulum to the opposite end. And it's because of hard work and people that were on my team that were smart enough and trusted enough in our relationship despite that part of my personality that in my 20s wasn't especially attractive, where they took me aside and said, dude, can I tell you something? You need to let me handle this because you're horseshit when it comes to dealing with people because your expectations are here and you don't know how to allow another person to get to that point without making them feel as if they can't live up to this expectation you've established. And I had the ability to say, you're right. Mm. I got to get out of this area of the business and put myself over here. And now I can be involved in anything they want me to be involved in because I've done the difficult, hard work of working on that. And I can't say, Bill, at this point, and my kids will attest to it, that and luckily when they came came into my life, I had already really gone into the process of cultivating a little bit more self-awareness. But yeah, it's 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 a process and and that's why I speak to these things with such passion because I know the difference and mm-hmm. I also know that most people as you know because you've operated at a very high level in very successful corporations, you know that the propensity is for a lot of folks that are entrepreneurs and successful CEOs, they just never get to mm, that point. So true, man. To that point, you know. 100% and I I'm fortunate that my 
corporate life happened in my 30s and not my 20s where I was making a movie where it was I didn't really have a hothead of making a movie because I was making a movie and I was enjoying it but prior to that like I definitely would have and if I had taken on a corporate role things might not have turned out the way they did but I think people would probably be surprised to know it at my temper that haven't known me for a long time but so you're speaking from experience and it's so funny that you one of the big themes and through lines of your book is this four tenets of equanimity which is this mental calmness. And for somebody who is an intense character by nature, it takes some channeling, it takes some doing to have that equanimity in your life. One of the people in your life that has absolutely played a monumental role in who you are as a human being is your father, who I know passed away a few years back, but you mention him, you dedicate your book to him, you talk about him. Tell me about him. Give me, give me a flavor of what kind of guy he was. I know he's in the radio biz. Just tell me, tell me a little bit about him. Yeah, he and I appreciate that, Bill. And I got to tell you, I am so impressed with how you do this. You know, based on our conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, just a couple of guys having some fun. I didn't get a chance to see the side of you. And when you shared with me that podcasting was your calling, I get it now, man. I get it. You're so good at this. You're so good at interviewing and you prepare. And I've been in broadcasting for 40 years. So I know a rock star when I see one. And I just got to tell you that, man. Oh, man. This Thank is you. prophetic. Okay. So just remember this day when you are the best podcast host in the world and people say, Bill, who would you like to thank? But before <laughs> God and my family, I got to say thanks to Steve because he empowered me on that day. Oh, I man. I appreciate that. <laughs> but anyway, so my dad was one of these guys. He was a military guy, was in the Air Force, fought in Korea. So kind of a tough, hard-nosed discipline. He was the epitome of discipline. So I picked that up from him, which I'm so glad I did. But he was also this soft, compassionate, incredibly insightful person way ahead of his time. He was talking about emotional intelligence, Bill, 34 years ago Mm. when I was coming from high school into college before emotional intelligence even arrived on the scene. I'm not kidding you. Keep in mind, emotional intelligence is only 15, 20 years old as far as the popular vernacular is concerned. So he was talking about this stuff as it pertains to corporate environments and families 30 some years ago. And it was such a foreign concept, but it resonated with him so effortlessly. And I don't to this day even know where he got that idea. There must be some research out there from decades ago that he stumbled across because he was a prolific reader that you know gave him this epiphany to dig deep into that. But we used to talk and he was just one of these accepting fathers, you know, that just mm-hmm. um no matter what it was you want to do, I'll never forget when I was uh a squirt playing hockey. So that's you know second, third grade. I was on the ice. I started crying. I was so intimidated. I don't want to play hockey. He came over the top of the glass, jumped out on the ice, picked me up. That's okay, buddy. You don't have to play hockey. And that was his way of just like, I mean, I literally quit on the spot. And then the next year, dad, I want to play hockey. Okay, pal. Remember last year when we were out on the ice and you didn't really love it. So if this is what you really want to do, that's your prerogative, but just, you know, no, I'm ready this year. I want to do it. I got on the ice that year, Bill, you couldn't get me off the ice. And so I think about that moment oftentimes in the development of my childhood and how easily that could have drifted in a drift different direction, because I know so many dads would have said, come on, 
You tried hockey last year. You didn't like it. We're not paying for skates and breezers and sticks. We're not doing this again. And he obviously just always had the ability to intercede where you were and provide you with the encouragement you needed to explore your curiosities and follow your momentum without him imposing his will on you. He was just magnificent at that. And I can give you a list of people that are doing remarkable things today that he encouraged mm. uh, and, and gave them the license to move ahead with the dream. He was amazing. You know, we were best friends. I had the luxury of having a father that was that mentor, but also a best friend. And he ended up working for me later in his life. He worked with me for 10 years as a salesperson. So yeah, just an amazing relationship. Miss him dearly. Oh man, what a great story. Thank you for sharing. And he could have pushed you also, right? You, you talk about how he could have said, no, you can't do it because you quit last year. You didn't, you didn't like it last year. He also could have picked you up from the ice and demanded you play. And so I give him huge props for taking the, you know, the foot off the accelerator because he could have very easily been one of those dads. And I have to kind of censor myself from being that dad where it's like pushing too hard. There's a fine line between pushing and, and creating animosity or this feeling like you have to do something because your parents want you to do something versus you wanted to do it for yourself. And kids change so quickly that it's not a surprise that the next year you wanted to get back on the ice. And so you obviously, that was a very important part of your life. Another important part of your life is this broadcasting, media, radio part of your life. And I know it started at a young age. At 14, you had one of these in front of you, you had a microphone in front of you, and you were already recording. Talk to me a little bit about that experience. Well, my parents owned radio stations when I was growing up. We moved from a, a big city where the hockey program was incredibly well-developed. So it, it was tough in fifth grade to move from that out to Buffalo, Minnesota. My folks bought some radio stations in that area, decided to be entrepreneurs. So I was blessed, number one, to witness that firsthand and everything that went in to building successful businesses at a very young age. And so I started contributing, you know, billing and being around the radio station, fraternizing with DJs and just becoming enamored with the whole broadcasting industry. And my dad encouraged it by allowing me to mill around and be involved. And so when I was 14, I was very much interested already at that age. He said, okay, you know, do the weekend overnight show from midnight to 4 a.m. So I found myself on the air doing a show at 14 years old, learning from some incredibly talented people. Keep in mind, my dad was notorious for finding remarkable talent in the Twin Cities and then cultivating them at this radio station, Fresh out of broadcasting school and then releasing those people to major markets all over the country. Some of the top DJs in the world, no kidding, worked for my dad and cut their teeth right out of school. And he has a long resume of people that you would know that have come from a very humble beginning and turned into major market broadcasters. So I was around those people and I was able to witness their excellence at such a early part in their career. So I developed a passion for that. And that passion continued into college. And then I was watching TV one night and the on-air local weather anchor in Minneapolis at Care 11. I just was so fascinated with this person's remarkable talent. He had a meteorology degree, but also was this 
remarkable communicator. He was marrying science and and this personality, which I'd never seen. It was either a personality out in California doing the weather with humor, or it was some weather dork, you know, that had the scientific background, but the personality of a tadpole. So here, this guy had a combination of both those things, Bill. And I was just like, I got to meet this guy. So I met him, ended up getting an internship and washed his car, <laughs> fetched his coffee, answered his phone. And I got my first job as a result of a two-year internship where I didn't get paid a dime. I worked 40 hours a week, but I hustled my ass off and put myself in a position where this guy, when he had the chance, he stepped up and opened a massive door that accelerated my career. Proximity matters, right? You're you're talking about an experience with him and others, including your father, who was a mentor and your parents who showed you how to be an entrepreneur and by modeling what works, what doesn't work. And then of course, being exposed to this guy was monumentally important. And I know it wasn't always a smooth ride for you. At 22, you got fired from a job. And so how did that prepare you for the rest of your life and everything that happened since? Tell me about that experience. Well, I mean, just great questions, Bill. And I appreciate it because you obviously just did your homework. And I that that is one of those moments in my life that was instrumental in precipitating a drive that is to this day, so hungry and deep. I couldn't change it if I wanted to. I couldn't learn to relax and just sit around if I wanted to, because that put a fire in my belly. And sometime I put a post up about this last year and I told people it's okay to be motivated by an unfortunate incident. And a few people took issue like, oh, never be motivated by anger whatever. Okay. Anger is a great motivator, folks. Trust me. (laughs) If somebody doesn't believe in you, take it and run with it. Now there's a caveat. Don't let that fester in your stomach indefinitely. I used it as a catalyst to inspire my initial decision to say, screw you. You don't believe in me. I'm going to show you that you made the mistake of a lifetime. And I turned that into the impetus, which forced me to start my business at 22. Mm. And I've been an entrepreneur ever since then, Bill. So I've known nothing else for my entire professional life with the exception of two years, what it feels like to own your time, what it feels like to make as much money as you want, and to run an organization that strives for excellence. So this stuff is in my blood, and I've done it for over three and a half decades now. And that moment in my life at such an early age with an already intense personality was the best thing anybody could ever have done for me. And I know sometimes, and I know a lot of people are going through this right now because we are in a very difficult economic time and a lot of people have been displaced, but I'm telling you, there's going to come a time when you look at this and look back in retrospect and say, ah, I get it. You know what, what I'm doing now, this forced me to move in this direction to be um, committed to being true to myself. And maybe you're pursuing something for the first time, like you are, Bill, that's really consistent with what you want to do to find long-term happiness. So I'm a big advocate of taking a little risk professionally once in a while. And sometimes we won't know when that opportunity door was open for us and we might not see it crystal clear at the moment or in the moment. But when we look back, hindsight does tell us that often when a ride ends or the wave comes crashing down, I call my corporate journey a big wave. That is a new beginning. It's a new chapter. And we will be thankful that that new chapter started no matter what the catalyst of that chapter beginning. Going back to your college days and just the days that where you you talk about having 
internships and staying focused and kind of people have asked you, do you think you missed out on these things that most people do, which is the heavy drinking and the partying and just letting loose and going all those things. And your answer is no, but tell us why your answer is no. Well, again, I mean, I love that question and and I'll tell you why, because I've always been the commander in chief of every decision I've made. I've never let other people and their choices influence the direction that I take. And because I became autonomous at such an early age and learned to operate with my instincts in charge and failed to succumb to the temptation of the incessant peer pressure that so many people get consumed with, I made the decision to walk alone. So I've become comfortable being on my own and I can be comfortable around people, but I'm always true to myself. So this whole idea, you know, that people love to uh, pontificate about, you know, find your authentic voice. Okay. Well, it sounds great in theory, but have you actually done that? Because I can promise you I've found my authentic voice. And when you do, you'll, you'll know it. And, and it's not one of those things like so many cliches we toss around that we can fake like empathy in the office. Oh, okay. Even though your boss is a jackass, you know, I mean, you're either committed to these things or you're not. And I made the decision at that age, I'm being true to myself and I have no interest in this lifestyle that society is promising me that will provide me with so much satisfaction. I'm not buying the lie. I saw through the veneer at that age and I can promise you, I can see right through it now. And so my advice is always to people. Yeah. The path that I carved, um, it is the really rugged path and people that reach out to me, Hey, I want to be just like you. And I say, well, be like you, but I hope you're inspired by what I've done. But if you really want to follow this path, I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be like most of the other advice you hear on success because this path is really treacherous. Mm-hmm. And But I can promise you the rewards that you get when you walk this path are unbelievable. I didn't miss out on a thing. And I look back on my life with no regrets. And I honestly, you know, because I was always building and growing and striving and learning and challenging myself at an age when most people were lost, stumbling through life, meandering without any focus or purpose or any sense of moral compass or any direction. There was a few folks I met along the way, but they were few and far between, Bill. I got to tell you, and unfortunately, those statistics don't get any better oftentimes as we get older. Folks fall into bad habits and they just practice those bad habits in different ways throughout the course of their life. And, um, you know, And so my goal is to help people appreciate that there is a better alternative and it may not seem really appealing because it demands this commitment to discipline, which a lot of folks just don't want to do. The allure of success is different than the anatomy of success. And when we look at the anatomy of success and we dissect it, it doesn't include a fancy Lambo and a giant house that you're standing in front of where you're really targeting impressionable minds of people who want a a quick fix to find money and that money somehow is going to bring you happiness. I One of the things I love about your book, Anatomy of Success, is that it provides principles and really thoughtful insights that have been collected throughout your life that will help prepare somebody for frankly, the rigors of success, the success that happens out of hard work and discipline and consistency and doing what's right. And I I kept on thinking to myself, I wish I read this book when I was 18 years old. And, And not to say I regret anything in my life, but if I'm being super vulnerable, I think one of the areas of my life that I don't think I was able to develop in a way that I need to is discipline. I'm just being super candid and upfront with you. That 
that is something that I think anyone reading your book will see shine through brightly is this idea of discipline. But you break up this book into four tenets. And I wondered if you could talk about these four tenets of equanimity and give us a flavor of what each of those tenets represent and why you chose to make your book focused in those areas. Yeah. I mean, my whole purpose is about these four things, because what I can speak to, Bill, is I started out from a very modest beginning. My family was middle income, uh, did well, but I wouldn't say it was uh, you know, anything uh, above and beyond what would constitute a middle-class lifestyle. So I started my journey committed to being successful, making a lot of money and making a name for myself. Those were the three primary motivators at age 21, 22, when I started my business, like I'm sure most honest people would confess to. And so I set off to achieve that. And I did, you know, I built up a successful business. I had boats that went 160 miles an hour. I've had Lamborghinis, R8, B10, Spiders, and every toy you can imagine. Dirt bikes, snowmobiles that go 140 miles an hour. I've had every intoxicating external pleasure you can imagine. And ironically, I still love fast stuff. It's a part of my DNA, so I still keep a little car collection because I love cars. But they don't make me happy. And I tell people, and people oftentimes want to debate that with me. And it's often somebody that's never experienced what I have, so their credibility is lost. Like, oh, money matters. It's like, you've never had a lot of money. So don't tell me how much happiness money provides. Cause I'm telling you from my personal experience, it hasn't changed who I am and the level of happiness I experience one bit. I was just as happy last week with things most people dream about than I was when I was 21 years old, riding my bike to work, building a dream because it's been the journey, dude. It's been Mm. the journey. It's been the journey and the journey continues because I set off on a journey and that journey continues to evolve. And the beautiful thing about the journey now that's different than when I started, I've got a massive group of people along the journey. So I've got this support group, this group of wonderful people, family, kids, employees, uh, colleagues, close friends that are on the journey with me. And that makes it 10 times more enjoyable. And through the process of building up the success financially, most people want, I got the shit kicked out of me, you know, went through a divorce, had a legal situation at 40, as of no fault of my own that I had to sort through that took four years. I mean, costly, emotionally, and financially, boom, get cut down to size and build it back up twice as big from there. So I've had the luxury of gaining humility as a product of the experiences that I've had. Most people talk about humility and empathy and compassion in the workplace. I can sniff right through the insincerity. It's just, it sounds good. It sounds really good and it makes people feel really good. But when you've actually been humbled because life came along and said, I'm going to slap you upside your face, son, Mm -hmm. give you a lesson in reality. You take a deep breath and you say, okay, you got to start over again. And you got a group of people at work and in your personal life that just keep you propped up and you go from there to the next plateau together. And then you realize that all that stuff you thought you had, how quickly it can erode. Number one is the lesson. And number two, how little happiness it really provides when you're back in the survival mode. And it's these other folks you really need to rely on to bring it all together to take the rocket ship to the next level. And so humility is a part of my life now. It really is because I know how quickly it can go. And we're seeing it now, Bill, how many people have been devastated by this pandemic. You're riding Mm -hmm. high, living in a beautiful home. You and your family have a great quality of life. 
your partner loses their job, you lose your job. Now you're starting from scratch again and you're looking at your beautiful kids or whatever it is that you have thinking, how am I going to keep this all together, man? A lot of folks are learning what I'm talking about right now firsthand. They are. And it's, it is a challenging time that we are all facing and at different levels, different degrees and in different ways that we handle it. You you talk about happiness. And one of the things you talked about is it being the destination. And I'm just going to quote you here. Happiness comes from pursuing goals, not necessarily achieving them. And I thought that was such a profound statement. And one of the through lines of your book, you, you could have called it the anatomy of happiness, honestly, because so much of your book is centered around this idea of happiness. And I think many people have a false sense of what creates happiness. And as you've just indicated, you've had all the spoils of success, which, you know, the fast cars and all of those things, but ultimately that does not create happiness in and of itself. Sure. They might create some instant gratification. We live in an age of instant gratification. Another topic that you you talk about a lot is social media and you know, you're active on social media. I'm active on social media yet. I think we could both agree. It's one of the most scary mediums that exists. Share with me why. Well, I mean, again, brilliant observation and quickly to summarize, because you did ask a question and I didn't really answer it accurately, but the four tenets are basically health mentally, physically, that's a priority every day needs to be. Without our health, it doesn't matter how much money you have because if your health is compromised, I have learned because I've seen it and people that have had health issues, everything crumbles. So health is top priority. Healthy relationships with family and friends, as you know, Bill, you put that as a top priority in your life. You know how much joy we get from those partners in our life that we dedicate ourselves to, not just the half-assed relationship. Let's go through the motions and, you know, get hooked up and then put that on the back burner. I mean, I'm talking a real commitment. I didn't handle that commitment as well as I should have because I was married to my work. And so like Mm -hmm. a lot of men that are committed to their mistress, you know, I found myself neglecting this and my ex-wife had her issues, but we now are good friends and we realize we could have done better. Healthy, uh, intimate relationships is key, you know, in that area of our life and satisfying work. And and I know there's more research and more, more authors publishing books. And I'm reading some right now that talk about, well, you know, work is overrated. We need to have more free time and don't worry about work as much. I don't buy that nonsense. I really don't. I think work is super important. Oh my God. Yeah. I think most of us love work, want to love work. We spend so much time doing it. Right. Why the hell wouldn't you want to do something you really like and <laughs> yeah. then assume that you can just do less and still have all these magnificent, magnificent things we want to have. It just doesn't happen. And so I read these books and I think <laughs> your, your fairy tale sounds fantastic, but in reality, it doesn't measure up with what most of us want. So I factor work in as one of the four tenets because we all do want to mm-hmm. feel like our work is meaningful. And I've had the luxury of knowing what that feels like. And I can promise you it's wonderful. So to the social media subject, for me, two years ago, because I had never been on social media prior to that time, I said, here's an opportunity for me to leverage powerful technology for the benefit of taking my message to a group of people that want to hear it. And at the same time, share with people this remarkable company that I have that I want people to get intimately 
acquainted with, weatherology and the wonderful things that we do and celebrate my remarkable teams. So bringing those two things together, and I can tell you the power of social media, as you know, is real, but we wield it in a positive way. Unfortunately, a lot of folks, it's a pastime. It's a distraction. It's another addictive uh, diversion from things that we should be focusing on because we're spending hours a day just roaming through our feed and living vicariously through other people. But social media, in my opinion, can be incredibly healthy too if you use it in a way that doesn't allow it to use you and at the same time, use it in a way for powerful means. And that's how you and I met and so many remarkable people. And I I can't begin to tell you, Bill, in the past two years, how many wonderful people I've met on this platform, LinkedIn especially. And I said a prayer two years ago when I first got on social media, I said, Lord, bring some amazing people in my life. I'm tired of being the guy that always has to lift everybody up, that everybody comes to for advice. I want to meet some other smart people like Bill that come into my life and we can just have a great conversation. I don't feel like I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't feel like I'm the guy that's giving all the time. And that prayer was answered, brother. I mean, I've had so many remarkable people and some that have become my closest friends. So I I, I just caution people, if you're going to be on social media, find a reason to be there that takes the emphasis off yourself. You're going to be much happier in the long run. Yeah, 100% agree with you. If leveraged in a positive way, what it's capable of is truly astonishing. I mean, just the networking alone is massive, just expanding your proximity to amazing people. But then yes, if you can put out positive messages like you do, everything you do is positive on on social media. I'm so impressed. And you avoid, frankly, controversial topics. Like you're not playing that political game. You're not playing that like debate game. That's not your intention. Your intention is to empower. Your intention is to provide wisdom and knowledge and ideas that will help people be better than they were before seeing it, before hearing it, before reading it. And I just love that about the content you put out. Thank you for going back to the four tenets. I didn't, I knew you didn't say them and I was going to circle back. So, so I did, I just did, I just didn't want to out you right in there, but, but I appreciate that you, that you went back. I want to talk about something we have in common, which I read the book crushing it. And you saw a video of Gary V at 50, <laughs> at 50 years old. Okay. You saw this video. What went through your mind when you saw the video and how did that help you on your trajectory on social media? Well, I can't wait to meet Gary someday. And I know I will give him a hug and just tell him this story in person. I've already met Claude, his secondhand person, and she's amazing. So with any luck, she'll facilitate that introduction. But I remember when I was 50, uh, about the time my dad passed away and I was just um, contemplating, okay, you know, I've worked hard. I want to relax, just travel, sit in the Maldives, soak up the sun, Maybe sell my business. In a you deserve years. it. I deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> I've earned it, man. And um, and then Gary, I, I never really got much into social media. And for some reason, a buddy of mine who played in the NBA, seven foot one guy, who incidentally told me last week at the gym, he goes, dude, you're the most disciplined human being on this planet. I don't know. I wish I had a fraction of this discipline. And here's a guy that played in the NBA. So I don't know how God, they're without discipline. <laughs> but anyway, and he sent this video to me. It's like divine intervention. And I remember seeing Gary for the first time. And I thought, man, I really like this guy's candidness. Seems so smart, so articulate. And he's obviously making a massive impact. I could see that. And the video was, if you're over 50, 
and you're sitting around coasting and you've done remarkable things and you haven't shared that message with the world, shame on you. And it's like, I mean, that was literally it, Bill. And I just, it's like, it came through the phone, punched me in the heart, shook up my insides and it immediately made an impact on me. And I decided the next day I'm all in on the book. I'm all in on the podcast. I'm all in on social media. I'm going to start to put a plan together. And I started putting my plan together for what I wanted to do when I finally did get on social media. And you're seeing the evidence of that today. So I I really do have Gary to thank uh, for being kind of the catalyst that nudged me a little bit because I was trepidatious. Like I think a lot of people are, I'm going to put myself out there. What if people think I suck? You know, what if nobody likes my stuff? And I remember writing articles on LinkedIn and I share this with people because it should be a source of of encouragement and never let anybody discourage you because we're not out there. I'm not out there. I'm not collecting followers or likes or comments. I, I want to make an impact. I didn't care if I had 500 people that I met that cared about what I had to share. I'm blessed because the movement has taken off and I'm grateful for that, but it's not about me. It's about other people. And when you make what you do about other people, I'm telling you, people seem to pick up on it because they're a lot smarter than I think we want to give credit. And I learned that in broadcasting because we'd be working oftentimes with arrogant people that would go do the news. And, oh, these people are so dumb. And I would remember reminding some of these massive ego anchor people, listen, I wouldn't underestimate how smart these people are that are watching you at home. These folks are a lot smarter. They have stronger opinions than you realize. I'm just going to keep my humility in check and give the weather and keep my strong opinions <laughs> out of it, man. And, uh, and they used to laugh at me. But it's, um, it's really true. And I think that um, that's where social media, for me, was a little bit frightening because I thought, what if I put myself out there and I wrote articles on LinkedIn for four or five months, I'd get a like, maybe a two, three likes from friends that I know that mm-hmm. were just trying to make me feel good. And uh, one day, all of a sudden, I wrote this article on humility and leadership, and it blew up. All of a sudden, I had the notices on my phone, which I had long since took off. <laughs> but um, boom, 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 2,000 followers in a day and a half. And, you know, 800 people liked the article, commented on it. Wow. And that's what it was. For whatever reason, that, and then they went back and they find your other stuff and they find your book. And so I'm just telling people. I'm trying to show people what I'm doing now with my social media, what I did 36 years ago with my business. It starts with a tiny step and I'm grinding away like you are, folks. This is two years old for me and I've got big plans for this because I'm going to create a bunch of new entrepreneurs out there that are going to revolutionize how we treat people and make work more satisfying. And, um, and so I'm excited. I'm energized that people are receptive to it. And I'm meeting so many smart people, so many young, capable people that are going to make big changes in this world because they're hungry and they're intelligent and they know what they want to do. And they just need a little push in the right direction and maybe somebody to facilitate some connections for them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that, that I'm sure will be immensely valuable for anyone getting started out, getting a head start. because yeah, like you, I was posting, not getting much traction. And, and, you know, obviously the more time you spend on the platform, you start to understand how, and we say, when we say platform, we're talking about LinkedIn, but there's, there's any number of platforms you can leverage. It does take consistency. Yes. But there is, there is an art to it. There is a, a strategy involved to, to do it well and to gain an audience and curious what wisdom or advice or 
approach you would recommend to anyone that wants to take advantage of social media in the right way? You talked about how you can empower on young entrepreneurs. What, what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, you know, my preference is just because I wanted to actually do what I did and then share my message with people based on real experience and the lessons that I've learned as we've discussed, um, the things I know about leadership because I've practiced them and I still practice them and I know how effective they are. So I'm not just a theorist. Like that's why this week I put up the quote from Seth, who I love, but I want people to challenge myself. And somebody did. I made a new friend this week. This guy came by. I happen to like Seth's quote and I think you're wrong. And we debated it. He saw my perspective and I saw his. We met in the DM. We took our conversation off. He's got a book and he and I are friends. And the first thing I said, I like people like you in my life because you know how to respectfully challenge somebody and force them to consider another point of view. And I love that. And that's all I'm doing with Seth. I'm not picking on him. I have every one of his books. I love the guy. He's amazing. Marketing books are second to none. But this particular quote was, as a leader, it's simple. We just dream something up and uh, paint a picture and people will follow. And my point to people was, in theory, that sounds great because I have the big vision and I present that to my team. But then they step in and say, from every perspective that they're well-versed in, ah, I love the big picture, but this is what it's going to take to get there, my friend. And this is what we're going to have to do to program this to make that happen. And so I have them throw some paint at the wall too, and let's all blend it together and create a picture we can all be proud of. And then we come along on the journey, which entails a tremendous amount of honesty and walking away from certain things without deviating from the big picture, but refining it and continuing to fix where the oxidation you know, from the sun set in. And we got to touch this up a little bit because the sun took some of the color and brightness from this. So that's what I would encourage people to do. If you're young and you're starting out trying to leverage social media, and we've got some good friends on the platform that I think do it very well. You know, people like Jordan Paris and Mark Metry and Hala, you know, these are young people that are driven. They're using the platform powerfully and they're building businesses as they go along. I think those people are doing a great job doing those things simultaneously. And uh, Shay, who you know, I mean, other people that are young that are just doing incredible things, building businesses as they go along. And that's possible. And that's a great way to go about it. Those are great examples of young people that are taking advantage of the technology, telling a story that's very personal to them, succeeding, failing, succeeding, failing, succeeding, 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 and showing you as they go how it looks. There's nothing worse than stepping out there at 22, though, and saying, I'm an expert on leadership, on relationships, on entrepreneurial success. We all know that's probably not true. <laughs> and we all know that um, if it is true, then there's a lot of work that needs to be done to improve all the other things you need to do to really be a success in leadership or whatever it is. So, you know, everybody's different. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, but you know, for me, and I think you're doing the same thing. You put yourself out there at a time in life when you had a lot to share and now you've developed a podcast and you're using that as a vehicle to share your story and, you know, share the stories of other people that you met. Which is cool. And I love that you highlighted the people that you highlighted because they are examples of what an approach is not the only approach. There are so many different types of approaches, but I completely agree that they're building a business as they go. I want to talk about entrepreneurship because this is something that 
one you've just highlighted as, as, a, as a passion of yours to help other people thrive as an entrepreneur. One of the things you highlight in your book is that most people don't graduate from the romantic notion of an idea and they they don't actually do the hard work to make a business. You're also not big on business plans. Uh, you're, you're much, much bigger on having your purpose be your compass. Let's talk about why that's so important. Yeah. And keep in mind, uh, this advice isn't for everybody. Some may disagree wholeheartedly and that's okay. This is what's worked for me. This is what I've done. And I know for a fact, it's the more difficult way to build a business. I mean, when you look at the statistics on how many businesses fail, you've heard it a million times, you know, in the first two years, 20% of all businesses fail. And it's like I tell people, most people do well in the first few years because they've allocated enough resources. They've made some provisions. These are smart people that have business ideas. So they're not dumb. They're very capable. And they also have the emotional energy and the support from their network to drive the initial success. Mm -hmm. But then after two, three, four, five years, that statistic drops to about 50% because now the funds maybe start to dry up and the idea doesn't have the leverage we thought it might because things have changed. Pandemics came up and our business plan, quote unquote, isn't worth a damn because it failed to take into consideration the world was going to turn upside down, which is why one of many reasons I don't like business plans, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then the emotional support system. You've got a partner. You're never here. I want you here for dinner. We never get to go hiking anymore. We never get to take walks. We never get to ride bike. We never spend time together. You start to feel that pressure. You have kids, dad, mom, you're never around. I want to see you. We never get to play football in the backyard. Those pressures start to weigh in. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like being in a 12 round fight with Mike Tyson. Everybody thinks they're going to step in with Mike Tyson. I step in the ring with him for a million bucks. No, you wouldn't, because if you didn't bash your brains in in the first round, you're going to be sitting in there with that animal after 10, 11, 12 rounds. And I can promise you he's going to win because he's trained for this and he's prepared for this. He's got the physical, which is one of the four tenets, down pat so that he can make the long run and get to the finish line. He's not taking shortcuts. And so that's where, and then after five years, Bill, the statistics dropped to 90% of you know, businesses fail. And it's because most people set off with this romantic idea. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to own my time. And six years into it, if they're fortunate enough to get to that point, they realize I'm exhausted. I'm losing weight. I never have time to exercise. I never have time to read. I never have time to do anything for myself. I never have time for my family. My relationships are falling apart. And I can't begin to tell you, and I know you know it too, because you've been a heavyweight in corporate America for a long time. You know these people I'm talking about that are one-dimensional, I call it. They're good at the Mm -hmm. business, but Mm -hmm. the rest of their life sucks. And those are the guys that call you and me on the phone confidentially in tears. And that's why they need your consulting services. And they ask me for free advice because their life is in disarray. And I'm trying to help people avoid that. And so I took the hard path from very early on. I said, I'm going to start a business. I'm not asking family and friends or anybody else for money because I know if I take that money and this doesn't work out, those relationships are going to be screwed because who wants to give somebody money and never get it back? Because that's what it is, folks. I mean, let's be honest with one another. Somebody asks you, hey, can I borrow some money? They're basically saying, can I have some money? I'm never going to pay you back and it's going to screw up our friendship. That's what the message is. Hear what the real message is, because that's what reality would tell us. Same thing in business. I have a big dream. 
I want to build it, but I don't have enough guts to do it myself. So give me your money, because if I don't succeed, then it doesn't really matter. I can still walk away and I'm okay. That's why most people borrow money, get money from VCs and collect money from family to start their dream. They're not all in. I was all in. I took my credit card knowing damn well it was a 20% interest rate, 5,000 bucks on Steve, all in, boom. And I borrowed money against my credit card to start my business. Guess what? You're going to make it work or you're going to die trying. You'll figure it. You'll figure it out. Sorry, carry on. No, but I figured it out. And so that's why I feel so strongly about these things. That's the way I did it. And to this day, now I get to own the business. I don't have to divvy up, you know, percentages to people that have the money to come into my dream that may screw it up because they have big egos and they just want to get a return on their investment. Nobody's stepping into my corporate culture and screwing it up. So I give my equity to the people that matter most, my people. Because now they are all in on the dream too, baby. They're all in. And they come on board and they work 18 hour days if they have to. Because when we have a dream, we have a vision, we make it happen, we land the plane. And so that's the benefit I get. Most companies give away 50, 60, 70% of their equity and now it's survival mode. I have so many entrepreneurs reach out to me, Bill. Should have taken your advice, Steve. I brought a guy in, gave us the big piece of you know, investment we, we, we wanted. And, and it's a, it's a mess. It is a mess. We're colliding. Our egos are clashing. It's really, I, I just want to sell and get out. I just want to be done with it. So I tried to avoid that. You talk about partnerships and maybe that's where you're going. And frankly, your advice is to avoid partnerships, but, but maybe, maybe you could give a little insight there and, and also finish your thought. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's one of those topics that gets controversial because my point with that in the book is that partnerships often don't work out in business. Um, just like they're challenging in our relationships. That's why there's a 50% divorce rate because partnerships are very tough. And in business now it's not the intimacy is falling apart and caught you cheating, whatever it is that causes those things to fracture here. It's expectations. You come in, you and I come into a business proposition together and bill thinks that, Oh, I'm just going to make a lot of money and get some cars and use some of the proceeds to get some personal stuff. And Steve's the real entrepreneur. And he's trying to drive the dream, willing to put all the investment back in the business. And now we have this disconnect and it causes conflict. And I see it all the time and it manifests itself in a plethora of different ways. That's just one of many examples I hear about. So for me, I refused to have partners in the beginning because I wanted to find the right partners at the right time that served the right person purpose. My chief operating officer is a perfect example. He's been with me for 29 years because when I saw him working for a client of mine, kind of guy that would never lead on that he was unhappy. I had to pry it out mm-hmm. of him that he'd even be open to the possibility. I said, Doug, are you happy? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm content. I said, I didn't ask you if you're content. I asked if you're happy. Do you like your work? And he said, I'm doing okay. I said, okay, let me answer that for you. You're just going through the motions. How would you like to come over here and help me build a remarkable dream together? I told him about it, packed up his stuff. Monday came over. He's led my operation runs the company basically to this day and I stay out of his way. That's those are the partnerships that work. Because I saw I want to go out and pick my partners, Bill. I don't want 
to have a partner assigned to me because I desperately need to give up 10% of my business and bring a partner in so that we have the money we need to drive the dream. I used sales to drive my dream. And that's the other thing people don't want to do. I, I did full-time work and built my business for seven years because I decided to use sales to drive the financial success of my business. That's where the revenue came from. And as sales increased, obviously I had the revenue to reinvest in the business. So that's, you know, when you take that 10% of businesses that succeed after seven years, what percentage of that 10% do it that way? Very, 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 very Mm. tiny. But I'm telling you, as hard as it is, I would never change it for the world because now I'm in a position in my life where I'm going to write a book, I'm going to podcast, I'm going to do interviews with Bill, I'm going to focus on the things about the business that I like and coach and mentor and provide the resources for my teams. And just it's like a parent that gets to watch their kids grow up and then you just sit back with pride as they're excelling at whatever they do. That's what I get to do. And so I can't begin to tell you how happy work is for me. And to own your time and to have the resources to do whatever you want to do, it's that perfect combination, which is why that tenet of the four, in my opinion, is super important. And I want people to get to that point in life because I can tell you, it's amazing. Well, the fact that you had the emotional intelligence to have the conversation with Doug, Doug Johnson, right? And, he, yeah. and, 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 and I, so I thought you were talking about, it. so you had the emotional intelligence to ask him that question about how he was doing. He, and you saw that there was some things maybe not working perfectly. You gave him, and this is what I love about what you did. You gave him the opportunity to shine even more brightly. You gave him even more responsibility rather than saying less responsibility to make it quote unquote easier for you, but it's more responsibility, more opportunity. And yes, that's the type of person you could become a partner with uh, because he's demonstrated and he's, his loyalty, his consistency, what he's put on the table, what he's done for you up until that point made it an easy decision, not one that you're forced into because of circumstance, because of the, the who knows what's you know colliding and that just happens to be, right? I love that, man. I love that notion. And I also really appreciate your voice of caution when it comes to being leery of a partnership. It's much like you talk about in the book, you know, on a marriage, right? Like, are you looking for a marriage or a roommate? Are you mm-hmm. looking for somebody just because it's the thing to do? It's the thing to check off your list in the to-do list of life. And this is now the to-do list is to get married. And now the to-do list is to start a business. And now the to-do list is to have a partner. I mean, all of those things resonate so much. A- another thing that resonates with me in your approach to business is this idea of, being that shark underneath the water, waiting to attack, not announcing to the world everything and, and anything about what you're doing before you're doing it, but actually doing it <laughs> and, 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 and figuring things out. Talk a little bit about that because I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit vague on purpose. Talk about the notion of the shark in business. Well, that's how we've, uh, you know, I think many of us equate the shark with super aggressive and just chewing up everything in sight. You know, for me, it's the stealth mentality, the calm, you know, watch a shark. They don't seem like they're ever too emotionally uptight, except when they feed, they get a little excited, but, um, you know, otherwise they're cruising, you know, they're cruising under the water. They're constantly paying attention to what's going on. 
laser focused, but retaining energy for the purpose of the final kill. And so we've operated like that our whole 34 years. You know, let's not draw a lot of unnecessary attention to ourselves, which is one of the other reasons I struggled with uh, social media. But we got to a point where, you know, we dominate this particular sector. And I guess our thought was, if you want to try to catch us, be my guest, you know, but it's just, um, we focus on what we do and we don't deviate. We know we've got some big players in the arena. We don't worry about that. I mean, one of our biggest competitors is the Weather Channel. They're owned mm-hmm. by IBM. And so we don't spend a second of our time worrying about what the Weather Channel does because they do what they do so well. Uh, they have 2.5 million reviews on their app and tens of millions of people that use it. They have a successful cable station, on and on and on and on. So if I spent my time, Bill, trying to catch up with them, I'd drive myself nuts. So I decided long ago, I'm not going to do that. You know, we've got really, I mean, if you look at the weather app space, for instance, it's the most competitive app space, 25,000 apps. Wow. And we're, in, and we're in the top 120 consistently, and we just started. So, you know, to get into that space and to be able to even have a piece of that, but we're focused on what we do. So I'm not out there trying to be what they are, and they don't care about me, I'm sure, either, because they're too busy doing what they do. So, you know, it's nice when you have competitors that you just kind of you know what? We do what we do. We leave each other alone. We don't worry too much about trying to be everything to everybody. And so for me, that's just how I've always done it. But now social media has changed the complexion of my attitude a bit because now that's almost been reversed. There was a time where doing that made a lot of sense. But now I would make the argument that if you're not out there being relevant, you're irrelevant. Mm. <laughs> you know? And so we've done a 180. And so I recognize that trend happening and and I'm sure there's a lot of CEOs that know what I'm talking about, where, you know, if you're not making an impact, then you're living in obscurity and you don't want to be obscure today when brands live and die based on the kind of emotional relationship we have with our customers and the kind of emotional connection we have with the people that use our products and services. And it's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. I mean, I talk about business plans in the book. I talk about mission statements. I wrote, uh, I didn't write a mission statement ever. I've never written a business plan ever. So again, we can debate, oh, we got to. It's like, okay, it's worked. I'm telling you. So we can debate the vicissitudes of its effectiveness all day long. But I can tell you, because that's something I picked up from my dad. He wrote a book called Winging It. And the whole idea is that, guess what? You're going out. You're starting a business. You have an idea exactly what you want to do. Now go execute and be prepared for every unimaginable eventuality you possibly can. Get good at learning how to adapt at that instead of sitting around orchestrating how it's all going to fall into place, Mm. how much revenue we're going to have next year if all of our projections fall into place. Hey, if you want to live your life like that, that's your prerogative. I prefer getting real, just like we're discovering now. Okay, let's go back eight months ago. How many people had a life plan? I'm going to move into this new house with my beautiful partner, have a couple of kids, get a new Beamer and life's going to be great. I just got a new job and things are fantastic. Now that life plan is just rip it up and throw it away because we've all been hitting the solar plexus by Mike Tyson now. So I'm mm-hmm. stepping in the ring thinking you're going to mix it up with the champ. And then he does one of the uppercuts and catches you in the solar plexus. And if you're not dead, you're sitting on the canvas sucking wind. That's where a lot of people are right now. So in a lot of businesses that had plans are there right now too, Bill. 
looking at their plan thinking, oh, (laughs) didn't account for that. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't make provisions for that now, did we? So what good is your business plan? That's how funny it is. Well, if they they get too wedded to a quote unquote plan, I mean, you're not able to adapt. You're not able to pivot. You're not able to be prepared for the situation like we are in right now. And I think fundamentally why what you're saying matters is that if you have a compelling purpose behind what you do, that is what will drive your decisions, your actions, and the approach that you take. If you have a quote unquote plan, then you're looking with your, you know, pushing your glasses to your, to your face saying, well, we were supposed to do this by this date and this by that date. And we haven't done that. So we got it. It just doesn't work. And, 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 and it's not to say that, you know, you can't have a general idea of where you're going and all those things are great, but you, you need to be ready for the things that you're not prepared for. You need to, you need to be ready to handle those things. But and keep in mind, and I'll, say this as well, Bill, that when you do it the way I did it, you don't need to have a plan because it's not a plan you have to present to anybody. Oftentimes when businesses Mm. go about it the way they traditionally do, you have to have a plan because you have a bunch of investors that need to know what you're thinking and how you plan to execute. It's just one and the same. So I just want to back up so that people understand the anatomy behind those choices. It's related to the fact that because of the path I took, which was the hard path and I was funding it, I'm intimately aware of what my plan is and the obstacles along the way. I don't have to sell anybody on my ability. I don't have to sell anybody on why it's a good idea for them to invest in me. It's funny because when I first came up with this idea, 22, I couldn't get a loan if my life depended on it for this thing. Today, I get 75 DMs. Hey, you need some financing? And it's like, I'm sure. VCs, we want to get involved. It's like, no, 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 no. No, thank you. It's a beautiful position to be in, but it's a difficult place to get to. And that's where the romantic version needs to be understood for what it is. It's a fantasy. Just like when you decide to marry that perfect partner and you say, we're going to have this amazing life together. It's always going to be like this, like it is in the first three months, champagne, roses, strawberries, chocolates. But as you know, as a father, as a husband, over time, love changes from the intimacy physical attraction to the nitty gritty of keeping the partnership intact. Mm. The business is no different. I have a love for Doug Johnson that I can't even begin. I thought about it yesterday because we briefly saw each other and I drove away, almost teared up. And I thought, God, how good has my life been Mm. because of this human being who's allowed me to live this remarkable life that I could never have done on my own if I continued to be committed to the idea that I can do it all myself. So I'm so grateful. That's why when I write about this stuff and talk about this stuff and the little videos that I do that invite you to come in, I want to hear from you. And I love reading every single comment because people are so smart and it just reaffirms to me, like I see in my remarkable team, I can spot champions. That's why I told you what I did in the beginning. You're going to be a huge success. I know it. I know it. I can tell you that because I can feel it. I can sense it. I know how to spot people that are good at what they do and are on the right track. And that's such a, it's a beautiful place to be at, at this point in my life where I can focus my effort on other people. And it's a lesson I learned when both my parents and my brother, by the way, passed away within a relatively short period of time. I I decided I'm not going to sit here and commiserate in my own misery. I'm going to start to give back because giving back feels good. And it takes all the emphasis off of this feeling I don't want to sit there and deal with every single day. And when I made that shift, I didn't even let myself mourn, probably. 
because mm. I got energized with all the love and energy and the support and the good fortune I had. And I felt this urgency. I got to give this back to a lot of people that have never had this. And like Gary Fee said in his video, man, if you don't do that and you have the gifts that you have, you're shame on you. Yeah. And so thanks, Gary. And uh, thanks for having me on the show, Bill. I hope this was fine yeah. for somebody. Oh, 100%. Just talking about the parallels between a marriage in life and a marriage in your business relationship. You talk about you know, not having to present to the board and those things. One of the things your book covers is this idea of like why we should get back to having small companies mm. where you care about the people, where you're able to reward them appropriately. And, and we haven't even covered all that. So I'd love to have you back on another date. The last thing I want to cover, and then I do want to wrap up just hearing a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about where we could find you. The last thing I want to cover before we wrap up here is this mindset piece and specifically focus and specifically within focus, this misnomer that people think they can multitask and the mm. age that we're in. And I just want to leave us there because this is something so critical to success. It's so critical to getting the most you want out of life. And I can say from firsthand experience, I get distracted and, and I have to focus on not getting distracted what advice do you have for us to avoid this? I call it the distraction monster that exists in our current day and age. How do we avoid the distraction monster, Steve? Well, it's it's prolific and there's some great books out there. But, you know, with the ubiquitous nature of mobile phones that are in the palm of our hand at all times with indoc- you know, intoxicating you know, technology developed by neuroscientists that understand the nature of addiction because it's a dopamine rush, just like mm-hmm. drugs or any other dopamine surge that you get. So these people design these devices, these apps, everything on those phones is created with the intention of getting you hooked. And every single app we're on practices the same basic fundamental principles. Ding, get your attention, grab that dopamine rush that coincides with, I just got a new text, a new like, a new comment, and it makes us feel good. So what I see people doing oftentimes is they're at the gym and I pay attention to this stuff. My phone stays in the locker room because that time for me, it's focus on my health and the pedal is to the floor. I'm sure (laughs) I look around and I see people doing a set five minutes later, they're on their phone. That's distraction folks. We're not focusing on achieving our goals, which is the purpose of being in the gym. Use that hour purposefully and you'll find you'll get much more out of it. Your phone's going to wait, but that's a perfect example of not being able to detach. I see people when I'm walking, I'm usually out on my land, which is in the middle of nowhere, but on rare occasion when I'm in a city or whatever, walking, people head down walking, getting exercise, which is good, but they're still distracted with their phone. I leave mine back at the Mm. house when I walk because I want to be in nature. I mean, that's why I bring you folks where I do, because this is my reality. I mean, I am a scientist. I love nature. I love climate. I love weather. I love animals. I love our planet. And, um, you know, so that's my playground. And when I'm there, that's what people don't realize. That's where we shift from focus to a mental uh, process where we just let our mind, you know, gaze uh, at whatever is in our, you know, midst and soak it up. And that's where the creativity comes from, Bill. People think it's because we're so highly focused. That is when we take whatever we learned and apply it in a way where we can get the most uh, results from it. But yeah, there's. Uh, I encourage folks to really dig deep into this subject. I know we can't really do as much justice to it. I'm glad you brought it up. It's super important. And a lot of people struggle with it because 
We don't know how to separate ourselves from all the distractions. We're living a busy life, and that busyness is robbing our personal happiness and preventing us from living a much better quality of life because we feel the need to be constantly connected and feel the need to respond to every email, text, be on top of everything all the time. And for parents and people that are working, I mean, I empathize, believe me, but we have to develop a better relationship with technology if we want to have any chance of elevating happiness every day. It's okay to leave this guy behind. <laughs> it's not anywhere near me, dude. I came in here to spend this hour with you and that's all that matters. And I turn mine to to do not disturb, but I think the better route is to leave it, leave it in your locker, leave it at home. I really appreciate that wisdom and advice because I think so many of us feel this need to be tethered to mm. our phone, never mind the potential medical issues that could arise from having this thing near you. I'm not, tr- I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it only stands to reason that this is getting signals. I, I, why have it near us all the time? It just, let's get some distance from our, our, from our distraction monster. Yeah. I think you'll thank me for that. It's uh, one of those things that you can practice and try a little at a time, but next time you take a walk, just leave the device at home, go out, soak up the sun, soak up the trees, soak up the surroundings, take your pet out, live a little. Yeah. Whoever it is that you feel like you need to touch base with instantly wait, they can wait an hour. You deserve an hour for yourself. We're not going to go deep into this now, but you you do highlight the Amish culture and people and and their happiness and how Mm -hmm. the suicide rate is so much like, I think 10% of what normal suicide rate is. And that goes back to this just general notion that the simpler times where we didn't have, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that I live when I do. But you can't ignore the fact that all of these things, and I'll, I'll just put this general bucket of things, whether that be social media or cell phones or all these different, the noise of the world, it can compromise our happiness, our ability to focus, our ability to engage with other people. To have a conversation like you and I are having right now is made possible by technology. I'm grateful because now we wouldn't be able to do this in person. But the reality is people are what matter most in life. And I'm so grateful to have met you and to learn from you and to have had this conversation. Uh, again, I, I, I've only scratched the surface of who you are, um, but I, I'm going to share a few places where people can find you. First and foremost, you're all over social media, but most importantly on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com, you're at Steve-Wollenhouse. His company, Weatherology, there's an app. Um, I do want you to share just a quick snapshot of what the app does for the listeners that haven't downloaded the app yet and just giving a general framework for your company as as well. Yeah, weatherology, what we do, Bill, we are the world leader in audio weather dissemination. So our forte is audio weather. We do it better than anybody. We have 1,200 stations around the country syndicated by Westwood One that carry our exclusive and market-specific weather programming. And it is very, very elaborate. Tornado touches down in Duluth. We're on it even when nobody's in the building talking about threatening weather that's affecting people's lives. I mean, we do that. And so we've now created an audio API that plugs into digital platforms and uh, we work with big companies that use it. But we have an app where you can get a taste of it. In the US only, the audio is available, but it's real meteorologists in real time translating text. So if a tornado touches down where you live, 
the audio instantly takes mm. the warning and gives it to you from our meteorologist. It's amazing. That's cool. It makes Siri and Alexa sound like what they are. Voice <laughs> synth- synth- you, know, synth- you, know, you don't want to get your weather from Siri or Alexa because right, it's a right. robot regurgitating weather service data that's already old. You know, we have real people. So our app, that's what differentiates it. It's the audio feature, which in time will be available internationally. And at the same time, um, you know, there's all the other tools like radar and stuff you'd want there. And so the big thing is it's CarPlay, Android, auto enabled, and you can use it through Alexa. Hey, Alexa, what's my weatherology forecast? And get it from a real credible meteorologist. Well, Steve, you teach the anatomy of success, and I'm going to call it also the anatomy of happiness. You teach it on your podcast. You teach it in your book, both of the same title. You teach it on LinkedIn and you teach it to people who appreciate and who acknowledge the incredible mentorship that you're providing. I'm so grateful for all that you're doing to create this environment where people can be better at life as a result of your teaching. Steve Wollenhouse, thank you for being on Inside Out. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.